I'll have you turn to John chapter 3, be reading verses 22 through 36. And please stand for the reading of God's holy word when you find your place. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Three in the word. You may be seated. If I were to ask you a question, who is the greatest leader in the history of the world? No saying Jesus, that's obvious. So second greatest in the history of the world. It's personal opinion, no, there's no wrong answer. Tell me the name of a great leader. Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon, both great leaders. Go ahead, Dave. George Washington. George Washington. Yeah, George Washington. What makes them great leaders? Abraham Lincoln. He was, yeah. yeah, he he led us through the Civil War yeah. and was foundational to the freeing of the slaves in America. What about Washington, what makes Washington a great leader? Part of our country. First president. He had to fight off the redcoats. It was kind of a big <laughs> deal. But then what what makes people great leaders? Why don't you think about that today? Go ahead, Dave. Integrity, wisdom. If I were to ask you who the greatest prophet in the Bible outside of Jesus, who would you say? John the Baptist. John the Baptist? Why John? Because he was he was basically baptized. He baptized Jesus. He had a pivotal role. On fire for God, basically. He get, he is the greatest because he gets the blessing of pointing people towards Jesus. All the other prophets are saying there is one coming who will save you from your sins. That, that God is sending his Messiah. And so we can look and there, there's, we can look. If I were to ask you, who is a greater prophet, Elijah or Elisha? Elijah, maybe. Elijah? What if I were to tell you, Elijah mentored one person in his entire life? His name was Elisha. How many did Elisha mentor? 50 prophets at once. Leadership is not determined by how great a person is, but by the legacy they leave behind. 
Elisha raised up 50 other prophets. John's legacy is he pointed the way to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit today because we, we see this turmoil and this fight that's going on with John's disciples getting a little bit jealous for the ministry that Jesus is having. But first, I, I want you to kind of introduce you to, to John's world once again. We've, we've been going, going through this, this study, and now we, we enter a point where, where John is starting, his role is starting to diminish a little bit. Um, and so we find him, he's in the, the countryside of Judea. He's preaching uh, um, baptism, but we also see in that same area Jesus is here. And kind of a fun ba Baptist point is, uh, a lot of times people will, will talk about how should one be baptized. Should they be immersed or by sprinkling or uh, by pouring, things of that nature. I'd point out to you that John the Baptist, the, the one who, who his entire ministry is centered around baptizing, leaves where he was to go to a place that has plenty of water. Why is that important? Well, if you were just sprinkling people, if I was just going to pour this over there and said, I don't need a whole lot of water. You need a lot of water if you're going to dunk somebody. And so we see John, he moves his ministry because the, it's getting the dry season in Israel and he has to go where, where there's plenty of water. And at this place we, we see that Jesus is preaching uh, about the kingdom, the gospel, and he, it says that he is baptizing. In John chapter 4, um, we'll see that it tells us that Jesus actually doesn't baptize anyone, but the disciples do. He oversees that, that baptism. And so, so there, there's this turmoil going because... John has said, Behold the Lamb of God. He points to Jesus. And many of his disciples started to follow after Jesus, which they should. He is the Messiah. So I'd ask you a question. Why does John even still have disciples? Well, we have, the, we have this turmoil that, that is going on with these disciples. And they're saying, John, the one whom you gave testimony about, he is now baptizing. They say, all people are going to him. Were all the people going to Jesus? No, if all the people were going to Jesus, there'd be nobody left who wanted him dead. You know, there was many that were going to Jesus and less and less were going to John. And why would you go to the lesser when you could go to the greater? You know, I don't want you to be disciples of me. I want you to be disciples of Jesus. And this is, is at the heart of what, it, what is going on in this moment. But I want you to see what the devil is doing in this moment. John is being tempted. Jesus says of John, There has never been, ever, a single person, a single man in the history of the world born that was greater than John the Baptist. So we talk about our leaders, Napoleon, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. Those guys, they are not John the Baptist. John the Baptist stands up against all the authority and he tells them to repent because they are living a sinful life. It ultimately will get him thrown in prison. The reason the Apostle John who's writing the Gospel of John points this out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all start their ministries of Jesus after John has been put in prison. And, and John is, is written later, he is assuming that we have read Matthew, Mark, and Luke and he's filling in the gaps of the story. That's why oftentimes in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, You'll get, you'll get these stories that aren't in John because John is expecting you to have already read the other Gospels, to already know about those. He is filling in the gaps because he had a much more personal and close relationship. And that's why the details John gives us seem to be a lot more intimate. But I want you to think about the temptation. John, the greatest man ever to live, 
Now Jesus is starting to ascend. And he is at this point, and he is being told by his disciples, you know, the one whom you told us about, he is now becoming greater, and everybody's going to him. What is this that the disciples really saying? Is saying, John, you're losing your influence. You're losing your popularity. The world doesn't care about you anymore. How should John take that? We read in the scriptures how he took that, but how would you take that? Many people would have a real hard time with that. That pride monster would kick in and say, this ain't right. I, I lived my entire childhood and most of my adult years in the wilderness. I only ate locusts and honey. Literally, the, the coat I wear is the only thing I own and it's made out of camel's hair. John had nothing that resembled riches at all. Where was the, the, the prosperity gospel for him? If there was a man that should have been rich, according to that gospel, it should have been John. But John was broke. But he served God each and every day of his life. Does he get a grand retirement party? No, he doesn't. He gets his head chopped off. We'll talk about in the coming weeks of what happens to John. But ultimately, John is one who is testifying about Jesus. He says, I must become less while he becomes greater. So I would ask you in your life, have you become less? So Jesus may become greater. I want you to think about that moment where, where you came to Christ and you believed on Him. I pray all here who have. But think about what that moment was like when you first believed in Jesus. If we were to examine that, your life right now, would we be able to see evidence that Jesus has become greater in your life and the person you used to be has become less? If you can't honestly answer yes, we need to have a talk. Because you're being like John's disciples here. It's like, well, I got my ticket punched to heaven. I came down to the altar and I said, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. But it hasn't changed a single thing in my life because I'm living for the world. I'm living for the sin and all the pleasure that is in it. Let me ask you. How can John's disciples watch him baptize Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And like, oh, there's a Messiah. Okay, John, we'll follow you now. Why are they not following Jesus? How many of us have done that? We've heard the good news of the gospel and said, Well, that's nice, but I don't want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to follow Jesus. That life is hard. He tells me to give up everything. But you want to come back over here and say, well, I'm just going to go on my world, just continue my day job, just like it doesn't matter, continue on in my life, and, and still cuss and swear and drink and watch pornography and everything else that, that you've done in your life. Has it changed your life at all? I, I would examine the, these disciples if I were John and say, do you not believe me? The one that you claim you are my disciples and you do not yet believe the word that I have spoken? This is the entire reason John was born. Is to testify and show Israel who the Messiah was. That is his reason for existing. And he has completed it. And now his life is going to fade. He is going to give the ultimate sacrifice. He will be martyred. And there's no grand funeral. There's not 2,000 people. There's not a, a, a placement in the White House for everybody to come and pay respects for John. Billy Graham was one of the great heroes of mine. He was a great preacher, one of the most influential Christians in the history of the world. 
but he pales in comparison to John the Baptist. What does John get? He gets a small eulogy by his Lord. There has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. So I would ask you a question. Do you believe what John says about Jesus? Do you believe that you must become less and he must become greater? In our lives, at our workplaces, in our marriages. Many times we see people when they get married, they are single and they are used to living single. And all of a sudden you come together and it is now supposed to be the two of you. Are you allowing your singleness to become less in your married life as you join together with your spouse to become more? Does your marriage reflect Jesus Christ in the church? Many will tell me it does, but fruit will bear, bear witness to it. If you are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be evident. I won't have to ask you, are you becoming less and is Jesus becoming greater? What matters in your life? If you lost your job today, would it matter to you? Would you trust God to provide? Does, does that matter? With John, they, they took everything away from him. And this is what he says, My joy is made complete because the church, the bride, has been given to Christ. And he knows this. And how does he reference himself? If, if you st struggle understanding Revelation and why Jesus must return, understand the role of John the Baptist to the church. Does John view himself as part of the church, yes or no? No. John is not part of the church. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets, the great prophet John the Baptist. He's the last of the Old Testament saints. When that resurrection will take place and the graves crack open and the Old Testament saints are, are brought to life and will reign for a thousand years with Jesus Christ in Israel, you will see John the Baptist in his glorified body. The promises given to Abraham will not be ignored. When Jesus returns, he, he returns first for his bride, that is us, the church. But then he will return for Israel, for they will one day call upon him as their Messiah, see him for who he truly is. And so John is Jesus' best man. When, when, when you get married and you have a best man, the best man is not jealous for who you are marrying. He is happy for you because he is your friend. And that is John's role here. <clears throat> with, with preachers and pastors and churches. We are not to be jealous of each other. We are all partaking in the same work. We should be happy for one another. That's why we are told we are to send people out, send people out to plant churches, send people out to be missionaries, to share the gospel. We are not in competition. John and Jesus are not rivals. They are friends. John had that ministry of showing the world Jesus. You and I have that same ministry. We are to show the world Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if the world never knows your name. Because it's not about you. When we stand in the kingdom and they're giving, uh, talking about all, all our deeds, the only deeds that will last are the deeds that we have done in Jesus Christ. Why do you think when, when we get to heaven and we receive that crown, what do we do with that crown? We cast it down at the feet of Jesus because he is the only one worthy. He is the only one that deserves any praise. <clears throat> so as we look, John represented the Old Testament. He represented the law. What was the purpose of the law? Was it for you to live a righteous life, righteous life under the law? 
The law was a guardian. It was a school teacher. It was to show you how holy God is, how righteous he is, and how you are not. We could try to live right, try to do those things that God has told us to do, but we're going to fail. And I want to say this clearly. You will fail, you will sin, you will fall short of the glory of God, and God loves you. He knows this. That is why the law is put in place, so that you'll realize you have a need of a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of the law in the Old Testament, was to point that God is going to make all things new, that God Himself will step down from His throne, take upon human flesh, be the Lamb of God that we talked about in Sunday school. For those that weren't in Sunday school, we were talking about Abraham. And Isaac has a very natural question when they're going up, because God has asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And Isaac said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, don't worry, Isaac. God will provide a lamb. So they go up there and they prepare, they prepare the altar and Abraham ties Isaac down. And he brings a knife and he's ready to plunge it into his son's heart. And an angel stops him. And then Abraham notices there is a ram in the thicket and he sacrifices the ram. What's the problem with that? <coughs> Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. God is telling Abraham through that moment how he is going to save the world. Jesus is that lamb. He is the one we are to look to. He is the one that offers us salvation. He alone is the one that can forgive us of our sins. But when we sin, we need to make it right with God first. Because this is most of all God who we have sinned against. And then those that we have sinned against here on this earth. So we've discussed how John's mission was to show the Messiah, and we are to reflect that. John realized that he must become less and less, and Jesus must become greater and greater. So examine your life. Is Jesus becoming greater and greater in your life? Or is it plateau? Like, you know, I, people will share, my, my wife loves to share the fact that when I was saved, I was very, I was overly zealous. I was one of those Bible-thumping Christians who, who was very hellfire and brimstone and until God, you know, just smacked me upside the head a little bit and said, hey, I've given you grace. You need to give grace as well. That's a lesson we, we all should learn. So have we made Jesus more? Is Jesus more in our lives? Why do you come to church? Do you come to worship? That's a sign that you're making Jesus more in your life. Do you come to be entertained? Or because your friends are there? That's a sign that you are more than Jesus in your life. So we looked at John's world. I would ask you to look at your world. Who's in it? What's it like? Let me give you an example from, from my week this week of what it means to make, to make Jesus more and in someone less, in yourself less. Many of you know uh, Becky, my neighbor, has been coming to church for, for a while with us. She's going through a really hard time. About two years ago, she, she lost her spouse of nearly 30 years to cancer. And now her mom has been fighting cancer for two years, brain cancer. And now it's spread to the spine. She came over the other day crying. I didn't know what was going on. I just gave her a big hug and I asked if it was mom. And she shook her head yes. And the next words were, would you go tell her about Jesus? Her mom's not a believer. And so as, as a pastor, that's a very daunting task. With you guys, I get week after week to share the gospel. If I screw up, I get next week. This is not a you get next week moment. 
And so I'm going into the hospital. I'm having Nina pray and I've called a few others to have them pray while I'm at the hospital. And I get there and I can feel the devil's presence. He is there in certain individuals and, and fighting. And there are certain people not pleased to see me because they know what I represent. I represent the light of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as I get that opportunity to, to go into the room, I am praying with the family, but I'm also praying internally that God would give me a moment of quiet time one-on-one -on -one with her. Her name is Joanne. And as, as I was prepared to go in, Becky was telling me how she had this rough life her entire life and all these bad things have happened to her and how angry she is with God. And so know this as I'm praying. And right as I finish praying, Becky stands up and says, a very bold move on her part with the family that was there, would you mind stepping out of the room and allowing Pastor to just have a few moments with mom? Everyone left. And the ones that were blaspheming God's name in my presence, trying to irritate me and to irritate the spirit, not only left, but they went to other areas of the hospital. And so it was just the, the Christians in the hallway praying for mom and praying for me that I would have those clear words to speak to her. And what I found was not a woman who was bitter and angry with God. It was a woman who was desperately wanting to have a relationship with God and had no idea how. And so God provided a great open door, and we now have a sister in Jesus Christ and Joanne, and we need to praise God. What she did in that moment was say, it doesn't matter about me anymore, my anger, my hurt. I realize in, in a few short weeks, my life is over. I need to have this relationship with God. She made Jesus more in that moment. She realized that life is not about how she's lived it. It's about the life that Christ offers eternally. And so I would have you examine your world. Is there someone in your life like that, that, that maybe you've been telling yourself, well, they don't really want God, they're, they're against God, they're always coming up with reasons and, and giving you a hard time about your belief. Pray that God will give you that opportunity. That God would open up their heart. You can't save anyone. I didn't save Joanne. God saved Joanne. And I, I pray a day will come with those people in your life. You'll be able to share that gospel with them. I think so many times when we, we talk about the gospel in the church, we have this idea that you know, we made that altar call one day, and we've got our ticket punched to heaven. We know when that day comes, we have that assurance that we're going to be with Jesus. And to that I say amen. But what are you doing with the rest of that time? Are you just going about your life, enjoying it like you always have? If you're doing that, you're being like John's disciples. You're jealous. You're saying, well, I, since I've been saved, I want to live the life the way I want to live it until God calls me home, because after that, I'll have to listen to God. You don't really understand the gospel if that is your mindset. Your mindset should be, how can I live my life for God now? What can I do to serve the one who has saved me? who has called me, who has adopted me as their own son and daughter. We have to make Jesus more than what we've made him in our lives. We have to take that time in our lives. How, how often do you pray during the day? I bet it's not as much as Jesus prayed to his Father. We see Jesus, the thing he does more than anything, the thing that he does more than preaching is praying. More than miracles is praying. We see Jesus constantly going off on his own to pray. Who here prays for at least an hour a day? 
Okay, we have one other handout. My challenge is you to, to get to that point where, where you carve out at least an hour in your day to be alone with God and be praying to Him. How often do you read His Word? You know, I, I shared with a brother recently who, who is going through some hard times. We talk about the armor of God. So many of us don't realize that, that the sword, the only weapon we have to fight back against the devil is the very Word of God. And what do we do? We put it down. We, it's not sharpened. It's getting rusty because we haven't picked it up in weeks. And then we walk into the devil's battlefield and we're stepping on his mind and he's he's attacking us left and right and we're we're trying to block the arrows but we have nothing to fight back with because we have neglected the word of God in our lives. How do you ever expect to beat back the devil if you don't have your sword? Nobody's ever won a war by playing defense. Search history all you want, you won't find it. We have to be on the offense as Christians. And finally talked about your world and in your mission is similar to that John's. But your place in it. We must become less and less. Jesus must become more and more. What I want you to realize is that what Paul tells us is that it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. You are to make Jesus more and more in your life because he is living in you and through you. He is the light of the world. We are called the light of the world because Christ lives in us. We, we joked in the in Sunday school, we'd love to see God come down, sit down on that table, and tell us exactly what to do. But he tells us in the Word of God what to do. We are to be like Christ. We are to go to this world and show them that love, preach the gospel. Many people are hurting. Many people in here are hurting. Are you being Jesus to them? Or maybe there's just not enough time in your day. Make time. Jesus made time. You will always make time for what's important in your life. If I were to have you to, to make a list and write down everything you do throughout your week, how much time would be given to TV? I guarantee you nearly half of us give more time to TV than we do God. What does that say about us? Our time is more important than God's time. That's what we're saying to Our lives reflect what's important to us. Do you have time to go visit someone in the hospital? Do you have time to go and pray with someone when they need it? Free up your schedules to, to have time for those God moments in your life. I believe God is speaking to us all the time. That there's moments in our life where, where God is going to use us, but too often we're too busy yelling at the TV or surfing the internet or watching our favorite sports team. Those are all okay things to do. I'm not anti any one of those things, but those are secondary. They, they are not the things of Jesus Christ. We need to be about the things of Jesus. And as a heads up next week, I'm going to give you a big challenge. I'm going to challenge you to do what we call evangelism. evangelism. Yeah. Most of you are scared of that word. It means that you actually have to tell somebody that you're a Christian. You actually have to talk to them. You have to share the gospel with them. Dare say, I even say, you even invite them to church. Which I don't, and they rejected it. People are going to reject it, but they're not rejecting you, Russ. They're rejecting Christ. But how can we call ourselves disciples? Where were Jesus' disciples? They were in the waters baptizing people with him. They were not complaining, saying, well, 
Look at the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, what's going on with that? Or this preacher or that preacher? They looked at themselves and, how am I going to serve God? So I would encourage you, examine your life. Examine the people you have in your life. Is there someone God is telling you to share the gospel with? To love on them? To live your life out? What if your life was the only light of Christ people would ever see? Is that, that light going to shine the light of Jesus Christ? And people are going to be like, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I want no part of that. If that's your life today, when we play the, this music in just a moment, I encourage you to come down to the altar, get right with God. If you can't be proud of the light that you're shining, that, that you are offering the hope of Jesus Christ to this world, and we're being like those people that say, you know, John, we're your disciples, and you know, our ministry's diminishing. We're getting jealous. Jealous of God? Seriously. Understand how John's disciples sound. We have to be about the gospel. A day very soon is going to come when that sky is going to crack open and Jesus Christ is going to return. And all your deeds that you have the opportunity to do now are going to be over. You're going to stand face to face to God. And what are you going to say to him? Well, I went to church every Sunday. Congratulations. The pagans do that too. You know that 70% of this country claims to be Christian? If 70% of this country claims to be Christian, there would not be an abortion clinic in this town that kills 100 children a week. <coughs> Every week in this town alone. We will not have to worry about pride parades. Pride of any sort is, is a, a tool that the devil uses. It brings about sin. Not, we won't have to worry about school shootings if 70% of this country was Christian. The reality is 70% of this country is not Christian. 70% of this country are like John's disciples. And we, we get jealous and we say, well, I was born into a Christian family, therefore I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian. If you have not repented and gotten right with God, if you have not believed on Him to make Him your Savior, if you are not actively making Him more and more in yourself less and less, you, you, you simply cannot call yourself a Christian. That, that, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. So I encourage you now as I close in prayer, if you do not know Jesus Christ, I plead with you to come down so that you may know him today. Maybe you're like Joanne, you're afraid that so often in your life that everything you've done won't ever be good enough. God never tells you you have to be good enough. He tells you to repent and believe. All who confess the name of Jesus Christ and believe in their hearts will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart? That's what the Bible says, you'll be saved. You will not have to worry about hell. But God calls us in this time to stand up and serve Him now. So I'll leave that with you this week. Are you willing to stand up and serve Him? Are you willing to examine your life and say, what are the areas I need to make Jesus more? Make my, myself less. We're called to carry that cross every day because the flesh desires to be God. Every one of us, we have to fight that flesh that, is, that, flesh that says, it's all about me. But the Spirit says it's all about Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day.
Give you thanks for the tremendous blessings you give us, Lord. Be with us now and forever, Lord God. Allow us to see in our lives where we have fallen short and not have made you everything. Where we've made ourselves more and more. Where it's about me and about what, what I enjoy doing. Allow us to crucify that, that mindset, Lord. And allow it to be, what would Jesus have me do this day? Let me hear you speak to us, each and every one of us individually. Help us to make that time to carve out and to, to pray to God. Praying, Lord, is, is us talking to you and us listening to what you have to say. How can we know what you are saying if we are not listening? I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that you would have them come down and to confess you as their Lord and Savior, to repent and believe in their heart. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who maybe we, we've fallen away, we've made more of ourselves than we should, we've gotten into the world and we need to come back to you, Lord, allow them to come down and allow them to pray and cry out to you and allow them to receive your grace. It's in your holy name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.